The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This month I visit with Gwen Hassan. Gwen is the Managing Counsel and Director of Compliance at CNH Industrial. Gwen has had a long career in compliance, literally starting in the 1990s in the healthcare uh, industry with uh, Blue Cross when uh, compliance was just beginning to get started in healthcare. She uh, went to law school while she was working at Blue Cross and then took a variety of jobs, uh, largely in-house, gravitating into the compliance field. It's a fascinating uh, story of the twists and turns of everyone's career. We take a look at, uh, during this podcast series, uh, Gwen's professional background and uh, what uh, led her to uh, pursue a career in compliance. We look at how she balances the practice of law with the practice of compliance. Uh, This is somewhat unusual, and this is the first time we've had someone having both roles in a corporation. She talks about her favorite parts about being a uh, compliance officer and why it's uh, necessary to be culturally curious. She gives advice about people who are uh, interested in the compliance field, and we conclude with a podcast on one of Gwen's passions, which is fighting the scourge of human trafficking and the role of the compliance professional in that fight. I know you'll enjoy this month's series. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another series on The Compliance Life. This month, I'm thrilled to have with me Gwen Hassan. She's been a good friend for many years, a well-known compliance practitioner, is someone who has helped many of us in lots of different areas in compliance. So Gwen, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. Thank you for having me, Tom. It's always great to uh, spend time with you. I've enjoyed our friendship over the years and uh, look forward to talking with you today. So Gwen, you have had a uh, an interesting career in compliance, but I wondered if, if we might be able to start with sort of at the beginning. Um, what led you to even start a law career, which led to compliance. But if you could talk a little bit about maybe your background, your legal education, and some of your uh, professional uh, experience uh, leading to getting into compliance. Sure. Uh, I have a uh, an, an unusual story in that regard, I think. I, I took a very circuitous route to get to law and to compliance, for that matter. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin and went to the University of Wisconsin for undergrad, where I had great aspirations to go to the business school. And uh, I went into the university having spent uh, time abroad in Spain as a high school student. And when I came back, I had earned, I think it was 16 transfer credits because I started taking uh, Spanish at the college level in high school and would take a bus downtown to the University of Wisconsin campus and take classes there and then go back to the high school uh, for regular curriculum. 
but I had, uh, as, as many people know, University of Wisconsin-Madison is a huge school, and uh, I was one of, I don't know, 35,000 undergraduates uh, and did not have the best experience with an advisor. So I, uh, I didn't realize that when I finished my first semester of freshman year, from a credit standpoint, I was a sophomore. And I should have applied to the, to the business school uh, as a first semester freshman, even though I didn't have any of the prerequisites done. So when I got to my sophomore year and went to apply, they said, oh, I'm sorry, you're a junior. You're too, you're too late to apply <laughs> to the business school. So I ended up studying uh, communications. Uh, I chose argumentation and debate as my, uh, my undergraduate focus. No intention of going to law school. Not, it hadn't even crossed my mind at that time. Um, but I loved communication, and it was a, a good route to kind of get into a marketing PR position, which is what I, I thought I wanted. So that's what I graduated in. I then took my first job in San Francisco and moved out to California, uh, literally sight unseen. I had never even set foot in the state before and took a job there and uh, worked in marketing communications for a couple of years. And then one of those strange kind of uh, life occurrences happened where everything changes in a minute. Um, my mother was in a horrific accident. She was uh, thrown from a golf cart during a golf tournament and everyone in the, the cart, the cart rolled down a, an embankment and into the parking lot and everyone was severely injured. Uh, but she sustained uh, a life-threatening injury. She, she actually was dead at the scene and they had to paddle her back and medevac her out. And she had uh, a severe head injury. So as a result, I ended up moving home and uh, helping the family because she was in intensive care for months and then in a rehab facility for well over a year. Uh, my father took a sabbatical because he was a professor at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, my sister was currently attending the University of Wisconsin at the time, uh, and I moved home to help. So I uh, moved back, and our next door neighbor growing up was a judge, uh, Judge Stewart, and he I came over one day when I was home and said, hey, Gwen, has your family retained counsel? And I, I was 23 and said, I'm, I'm sorry, what? And he said, well, you're, you're going to need an attorney. And I said, I, I don't know anything about law or about you know hiring an attorney. How do I do that? He said, well, talk to your dad and see what, what he'd like to do. But you know, your family should be preserving their rights at this point because you know, somebody flipped that cart and it wasn't your mom. She wasn't driving it. And it happened at a golf tournament. Someone hosted that tournament. Uh, it happened at a golf course that certainly has insurance. Uh, and, you know, that golf cart manufacturer might be uh, implicated in some way. You, you need an attorney. So I talked to my dad, who was, as you can imagine, bereft. And, said, and he responded and said, I have time for that, Gwen. I've got to focus on your mom. You know, if if you want to work with Judge Stewart and find an attorney, go ahead. You handle it. So at 23, there I was <laughs> trying to figure out how to navigate the legal system. And uh, my neighbor, the judge, helped me find an attorney. And we uh, filed suit, which never went to trial and ended up settling out 
and putting all of that money in trust, which then paid for my mother's severe medical care for years and her ongoing care because she was never, uh, never able to walk again. She was wheelchair bound. She was, uh, she needed a lot of ongoing uh, kind of care. The point being that during that process, I became fascinated with the law. Uh, It was my first introduction to legal practice, to lawyers, to judges. Um, I literally grew up not knowing anyone who was a lawyer and having no exposure to the legal system. So it was uh, an eye-opening experience. And I I thought, you know, I I think maybe this is something I want to pursue. So I took the LSAT, which luckily I did really well on because my undergraduate GPA reflected the amount of beer drinking I did as a Wisconsin undergrad. Um, And I applied to a bunch of different law schools and was accepted at DePaul. And uh, so I decided to go to DePaul in Chicago and uh, pursued that uh, while working full time, actually, in the legal department of Blue Cross and Blue Shield, um, well, Healthcare Service Corporation was the name of the company in Chicago, uh, and their division, Fort Dearborn Life. And in that role, I was in a paralegal role and working in effectively insurance compliance work. And that was kind of my first introduction to, to compliance was in that first role, which I worked in throughout law school and went uh, part-time at night while working full-time during the day. So what were some of your early professional experiences after your graduation from law school? Did you go into a firm or did you go into the corporate world or did you stay with Blue Cross? So when I graduated, uh, the the Healthcare Service Corporation group did not have an attorney position open. Um, They asked me to stay on as a manager of compliance, Uh, but I really wanted to use my law degree. I mean, I had, I had, gone to school for four years at night to get it, and I really wanted to use it. So I started looking. Um, I had I had an offer from uh, a, a firm that would have been in their ERISA practice, and I felt like I just couldn't do it. I could not spend my entire, uh, you know, legal day uh, with Arissa. It just seemed, it seemed like <laughs> something I couldn't do. Um, so I ended up parlaying my, my years working in the legal department for a healthcare service corporation and Fort Dearborn and Blue Cross into, uh, an in-house position. So I was one of, you know, it was, it was the nineties. It was a different time, but I managed to go straight in-house after law school. Um, as a matter of fact, I started my first job with uh, Hartmarks Corporation. I was their third attorney of a, you know, a, a two attorney department at the time. And uh, I started with them while studying for the bar and then uh, passed into the bar, luckily, and uh, became their third attorney. Uh, the youngest attorney on staff, the newest and least experienced attorney on staff, and the only one who spoke another language. So they had a number of holdings. Um, actually, by the way, Hartmarks doesn't exist anymore. It <laughs> filed for bankruptcy years later. It was the uh, holding company for Hickey Freeman and Hart Schaffner and Marks, um, really expensive men's suits that really nobody wears anymore. So uh, I wore them. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
So I ended up then uh, kind of getting thrown anything that had to do with uh, their holdings in Mexico because I spoke Spanish fluently. And uh, they had a number of, of issues uh, related to the workforce there, related to regulatory compliance. Uh, and from there, I just expanded out into other holdings in other countries. So I became kind of by default the person who handled a lot of, of uh, foreign issues because I'm the one who had some language skills. So uh, that was my, my first kind of foray into international compliance work was in that first role. Uh, and it was great because I learned I loved it. I had the chance to use language skills, but also use my law degree uh, and pull a little bit from the compliance experience that I got during law school uh, and it combined nicely into uh, into a flow, if you will, of all of my skills. When unfortunately we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us uh, next week for our next episode, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks, Tom. Me too. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you will join me again next week where I take up another episode with Scott Sullivan in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>